from Los Angeles, California on the MTV Podcast Network in association with Panoply and with no small amount of help from Dub Lab. This is North Hollywood. I'm Alex Papadimus on the other side of the Dub Lab at the other Dub Control Station, the commander in chief of North Hollywood, Molly Lambert. The selector. The selector. Can we put a dub effect on that? Can we put a dub effect on this entire thing? I would can, love that. Can this entire show just be one long uh, reverb? reverb I'd be very into very that. Just of me of me coughing it's into the, the microphone. <laughs> Sweet leaf style. It's the Lee Scratch Perry episode. I've been listening to dub in my car uh, cool. on, on the way over here. That's what I was doing. Sounds great. Getting, it's, it's raining in Los Angeles. It's always raining in Los Angeles now. You did this. Molly, as someone who prays for I prayed, seasons. I prayed for Blade Runner and it came true. It's really true, right? I mean, I, this is the best winter in years. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's insane though that this is now the Pacific Northwest. I now love officially. It. I wish it would always be like this. Um, maybe that's a sign. It's a sign that you want to stay inside. No, I just, I want to be outside in the rain. <laughs> Experiencing. I, I don't personally, but uh, there is something there is something nice about it that when you can actually stay in. And it's look, it's a time it's a time to stay indoors. I think it's a time to sort of maybe admit a little bit of defeat, or at least that you need to regroup. Um, yeah, to be- become a prepper. <laughs> Today is inauguration day. Just have to let that out. Uh, you, by the time you hear this, you know America will be great again. But today is uh, it's inauguration day, so it hasn't hasn't happened yet. It doesn't take effect until like. Five. I'm trying to avoid seeing one second of it. I had to just pull out of, uh, I had to put my phone in another room yesterday because I was like, this is, I keep just, you just keep going as if, oh, there's going to be further down the old TL. There's going to be that piece of news that makes me feel better, that makes me feel better about something. And it, you never, you never uh, get there. There's no good news. There does not, does not seem to be. It's just that things Except are Chelsea just, Manning. Chelsea Manning. That was, yeah. One good Shout thing. out to Chelsea Manning. Shout out Chelsea Manning. Shout out to Chelsea Manning. Shout out to Julian Assange finding that loophole and being like, "Yeah, I said that, but uh, come on." Fuck like, Julian Assange. I did not. I did not expect to be held to that promise. But you know, shout out to Chelsea Manning. Good. Welcome back. Good things. Back to the world. Good things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's eight a.m. It's also eight a.m. Like we've in the in the darkest time in history, we've also two morning people. Me and Molly, we are both doing a podcast at eight in the morning. Are you a morning person? I am not a morning person in any way, shape, or form. I get up and I manage to get a child out the door today and get to this podcast. And that is, look, I'm, I'm small victories. I now understand how zoo crews work, which is that <laughs> maybe everyone's just really loopy all the time from being awake so early. Yeah. I once spent some time with a bunch of morning zoo DJs for a story. I went into a convention of morning zoo DJs and they're all crazy and they all had like, and they're crazy. I don't mean crazy. Like they're, you know, they're crazy. Like they're, they're all, cause they're that too. They're all like rubber chicken crazy, but they're also just crazy people. Rubber like they've just lived crazy. a life. They move around from town to town to get up at four o'clock in the morning in a, in like, you know, Cedar Rapids. And like, it's like, oh, I need to move to Cedar Rapids so that I can get up at four in the morning and read stuff that I found on the internet and, you know, prank call people and they do it and they live, they live that life. And people feel close to them because of that. Yeah. We should do more prank calls on this show. I've thought about it. Believe me. I've thought about just, you know, pivoting this to an entirely uh, prank call based form. I'm bad at that though. Can I tell you, my brother 
confessed recently that he was the king of prank calls. <laughs> okay. He had a whole secret life as the king of prank calls. You know, people would be like, oh, get Ben to make the call. <laughs> He's good at prank calls. What was his greatest his prank great call? His great prank call was to call two pizza places and conference them. <laughs> So that I feel like I've dreamed of doing that when I was a kid. I feel like that's one that you always that's, that's the heist that you want to pull off is the two is the that is like you want to impress a room full of eight year old boys. You're like, check it out. Little Caesars thinks Domino's wants to order a pizza. Do kids still do that to each other? They still send each other pizzas over the know. Internet. I if there are young people hearing this, can we find young out? Young people. Yeah, yep. I all, I mean, we have Mukta. That's our, our spotlight on the youth. <laughs> Mukta, did you ever, did you, or did you ever know anyone who sent pizza to, to a stranger? I got a pizza delivered to me on the radio once. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I was doing my radio show at like, I think at the time it was like 10 or 11 in the morning. And I was like, oh, I'm so hungry. I wish someone would send me pizza. And I played a bunch of songs about pizza. And then someone delivered one to the station. What? It that's was amazing. a highlight, like one of the most fun, coolest things that's ever happened and to me. And there wasn't like a thumb in it? No, it was like a Domino's guy being yeah. like, oh, I brought you But it wasn't pizza. like, here's a hank of my hair. Now we are here's wed. A, here's a marriage proposal spelled <laughs> out in, uh, in the olives. No. <laughs> no. No, it was great pizza. Oh, it's great. And it was just exciting that I was like, I want anyone. I want a thing. Anyone want to send it to me? And then someone did. That's so nice. That's the advantage of radio over podcasting. We can't ask for a pizza. We could be like, can you deliver a pizza to this location two weeks from now? <laughs> we'll be here. When we'll, let's coordinate it. We can't do it. <laughs> We're going to talk about comfort television benders because you know what? That's where we're at. That's the place that we're both, I think, at. I think that's where a lot of us are at. Everyone I've talked to is watching not just a show, but like a show they love from the past of just like, I want to be in any other time mentally. All right. So what have you been watching? What have, Where have you been? What have place been have you been to? Where's your happy place? I've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. And uh, I had an old gift certificate to Amoeba that I finally realized I could spend on old VHSs because I finally got a VHS player that works. So I've just been like finally. stacking up. No, I, I went to Amoeba the other night. I just keep, that's my new like, oh, I'm all, you know, manic and it's 8 p.m. What do I do? Let's like go to Amoeba. And then I was so happy and I was like, why am I so happy? And I was like, oh, because I'm at the video store. I'm just browsing videos for like an hour and that it makes me the happiest of anything. Uh, so I watched Judgment Night for the first time. <laughs> I haven't see, I, I'm not positive I've ever seen that. I've listened to that soundtrack 10,000 yeah, times. Yeah, I've listened to the soundtrack 10,000 times. I did not realize the, uh, the De La Soul and Teenage Fan Club song is the theme song. It is a great song. It's, it a, it's a jam. in the beginning and like throughout the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's the love theme from Judgment Night. It's one of those movies that takes place in Chicago, but is all shot in downtown L.A., um, and in the beginning, it's like that fake Midwest. And I was like, is this the real Midwest or is it South Pasadena? And it was totally South <laughs> Pasadena, set dressed with a bunch of leaves to blow around. It's all it takes. Yeah, it's a it's a good turn your brain off movie. Um, Emilio Estevez. Rock, rock and rap together. I get it confused with together. Trespass. Yes, I get it confused with Predator 2. Okay, Predator 2 is fantastic. Yeah. 
That's what big, I thought it was. Big, big Predator 2 fan. Predator 2 is also like a downtown LA escape movie, right? It's kind it's, of an LA riots movie. It's like all of it's a, it is entire. Yeah, it's an, it's a pre LA riots movie that feels like an LA riots movie because it's sampled on. I mean, it might be like right after. I don't know. It's 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 sampled on the on that Ice Cube record, The Predator. Oh yeah. Like that's a, there's a Gary Busey sample of like you know like when quartered the beast released a device that destroyed the equivalent of 19 city blocks. <laughs> Um, can you only do your Gary Busey voice? I will do the rest of it. My Busey sounds like my Nolte. I'm a it fraud. It does. Kind I'm of, a fraud. You know, it's all this. It's all one character. It's they're basically very similar <laughs> it's, to me in my mind. Uh, why is there yeah, no so Busey Nolte Night? movies? What? No Busey what? Busey Nolte buddy picture. Too confusing. <laughs> exactly. They play brothers, <laughs> and one guy's the bro- one guy's the the stoner brother, and one guy's the other more stoner brother. Um. Judgment Night is an L.A. Riots movie in that it's also like one of those 90s like white panic about being in in the city. Rather falling down. It's like the falling down, but it's it's like falling down is more about like you're in control of like kicking ass all over the bad neighborhood. And uh, Judgment Night is more like it's very like adventures and babysitting. It's like you're in the urban neighborhood and there's like no way to get out because your RV broke down after dark after dark. Um, but the villain is Dennis Leary. (laughs) So there's like a world in which the, you know, drug syndicate is controlled by Dennis Leary and Peter green, (laughs) Peter green's the heavy from Fleetwood Mac. Yes, from Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> You're green from Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> Look, I don't know. I'm so I'm admitting that I haven't seen Judgment Night. It's just you know, it's uh, it's Emilio Estevez, Jeremy Piven, Cuba Gooding Jr., and Stephen Dorff. <laughs> that is so. It's it just is. it's just like the '90s as like a human centipede. Yeah, it's like it's um, just... it's like The Chase. It's like a movie that should be on cable if cable was still a thing people watched. Is Rollins in the chase? Rollins is in the oh, chase, yeah. right? Yeah, that's a Rollins I was shocked film. Rollins was not in this. Yeah. Like <laughs> that it. is weirdly, that's your 90s signifier. That's yeah. like, you know, let's let, let's get let's get Rollins in there. Um, but yeah, it was good. And then I've just been watching a lot of Kirby Enthusiasm because I needed like a show. I had tried to make Sex in the City, my sort of tune your brain out, go back to your mind, your mind cave place but uh then trump keeps showing up on sex in the city (laughs) shows up in the first season in name and then he shows up in the second season in person in the viagra episode and then i threw my computer off a bridge and then i took it back and started watching curb your enthusiasm was there any like with sex in the city was there any was is it hard to watch in a like this is this is why they hate us fashion oh, like yeah. because it's like this is the decadence of the old world Yeah cuz it's like the it starts pre 911 it starts like 98 I remember cuz I remember when they took the towers out of the opening Oh I don't even know that they did, did I they? thought they I thought they did or maybe that's the Sopranos like Maybe they didn't take them out of Sopranos either I don't know. I feel like I remember, I remember going to a, a post 9-11 Sex in the City watch party at a bar at one point and the towers coming up and people being like, ooh, <laughs> somehow. I don't know. I don't know why. That seems that seems like a ridiculous time. We're like, let's just hide this. Yeah. Let's yeah. pretend what's happening isn't happening, which is what we're doing now. Um, it's the theme of this show. <laughs> Go the theme on. theme of the show. <laughs> Uh, Sex and the City, I remember at the time when I was watching it being like, why is the New York that they live in still in the 80s? <laughs> it's the long 80s. It's the longest 80s. Well, isn't it also like, I feel like I read that book and it, like it, then she is a much more 
less sympathetic character in the right? book in the in the book i feel like i remember reading that book and there's i don't think some... i've ever read the book that's what i've heard she's also like a little bit cooler in the first few episodes than ever again um because they're directed by susan sadelman who made desperately seeking susan um and so there's a little bit of like we're going to this cool club downtown um also they blow through like every good actor that will show up later in history um, as a date. So like Timothy Oliphant shows up as like the 20 a guy in his 20s with a tongue ring. Uh, Bradley Cooper is like a douchebag. Uh, and then Justin Theroux is like a dick novelist and then shows up like two seasons later as a totally different character because they were like, Justin Theroux around. Let's just we, we used him too fast. Yeah, you get another shot. Uh, Sex and City was on long enough that it gets into that HBO sort of like, you know, the recycling program. Like, yeah, it like, gets a show back up. You know, back in the rotation. Yeah, any actor given a long enough amount of time. But yeah, I um I had to go to Curb Enthusiasm. Also, not actually that great of a tune out the world show because it really makes you be like, hmm, is this show conservative? In what sense? I am interested. This is interesting. Well, I've thought this too, and I, I want wish to I wish like, Andrew was here this week because he's got some hot Seinfeld takes that I love to hear about, about just how it's garbage. Um, just because I feel like people are afraid to say that. And I'm not saying that it is garbage, but there's a lot of garbage in it. It's got that same thing as the later seasons of 30 Rock, where it's like the things that laugh make me laugh so hard. And then the things that cr- make me cringe and alienation are like so intense where you're like, this makes no sense unless you were racist. Then you'd think this was funny. Oh, no. Uh, so Kirby Enthusiasm is the same. You're like, is it progressive? Because it's saying that like all white people are racists no matter what they think about themselves. When, when they think they're being progressive, they're actually just usually being more offensive. But um, or is it conservative? Because it's like no matter what you do, you're going to offend some easily offended person belonging to a marginalized group, even though you're a billionaire who lives in Brentwood and other parts of L.A. that I never go to. <laughs> right. I think I mean, it, it, my dad has a little bit of this, too, and that's why I, I, I recognize it and, you know, sort of appreciate it as being funny, I think, in, in Larry, which is that thing of like, don't don't be different from it's like a like an enforcement of normality in behavior like behavioral normality and other people don't be different from everybody else not because like i'm actually ideologically opposed to you being different but because i find it to be offensive that you are sort of being different in front of me somehow does that make sense no keep going <laughs> keep going we'll cut it do you microdose we'll, too hard today I, so okay i read the alet wallman book over the weekend over the long weekend um, and now I'm obsessed with the idea of microdosing, but I did not put it into practice today. Were you obsessed with it before, or this made you be like, mm, "This sounds fun"? It made me more obsessed with it because there seemed to be no real uh, negative consequences. You know, it's a lot like microdosing. Dosing. Being awake at eight a.m. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, there's something. Yeah. There's something about La- about Larry David being the only his sense that he is the only normal person in the entire world. Right. That he is not sort of like I'm neurotic and I just accept it like or anything like that. It's like that he is the like he is the last bastion well, of normality. And like obviously like that, you know, that is a, a yes. made up thing. But like 
that. I, I The same thing happens in Seinfeld, which is that like at first the issues are sort of relatable and believable. At first it's like, oh, you offended somebody by like hanging up on them too fast or something. That's not an episode, but it could be. Um, <laughs> it's the, 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 the middle. It starts out with sort of like semi-believable, awkward interactions that spiral out of control. And then by the second season, it's like already completely Baroque. It's already like some insane setup that leads to some insane punchline at the end. The marble rye. Yeah. yeah. Some like phrase that you end up repeating a million times in the episode that becomes funnier. And when it works, it's really great. And then some of the episodes are just racist. Uh, <laughs> there's one about acupuncture that is not good. Yeah. It's funny. Those things just, just don't, don't hold up from just that long ago. And I always felt like Kirby enthusiasm fixed some of those problems because it just admitted that these were terrible people. Like that's, I saw the Seinfeld finale. I like stumbled on it on TV once, which is the recently, like, which is a lot to sort of stumble into. It's like a heavy moment to find yourself in where you're like, I literally like turned the TV on and they were sitting in the jail cell, having that jail cell conversation. There's a lot. It was like, I'm not ready for this. I can't, I was not expecting to watch the the mash finale right now, but (laughs) And I feel like Curb just Curb kind of cops to the thing that the finale of Seinfeld cops to, which is actually these people are such assholes that they might be in jail at some point for being terrible. Like they might have done something so terrible. Also on Curb, you've got Cheryl, Cheryl Hines. Yeah, until you don't. Until you don't. But even when you even when they get divorced, she's still on the show. Okay, I don't know. I don't know that watch like new Curb. Well, they it's been on for so many seasons, and then he did that one. Instead of doing a season, just shot a movie on his downtime in Martha's Vineyard. It was like, you can either have a season of Curb or I'll make a two-hour movie that for some reason is set in Martha's Vineyard. And that movie is sort of funny, if I remember correctly. Is that a Curb? It's in Curb. It's like Larry David continuity, though? It's no, in, it's, it's not in... a Curb movie. It's just like a movie where he plays. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's like he's like a software company yeah. guy. That one? Yeah. Oh, like Clear History? Yeah. Yeah, Clear History is kind of funny. It's, it's weird. It's kind of funny. All the stuff where he's driving the smart car around. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't know. It's weird. Like, it's weird to see him do anything but be Larry David, though. Yeah. You know, because like, uh, is it Whatever Works is the Woody Allen movie where he like. Well, he's just being Woody Allen. He's basically. Yeah. But which is also playing Larry David in a way like it's. Who do you think is the, the best non Woody Allen Woody Allen? Uh, Branna. No. Celebrity. Absolutely not. I really enjoy That's that. That's my answer for the worst. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, do, doing Woody like in like I'm trying to think like. Uh, it's like such an. Uh, I hate Kenneth Branagh. I hate that movie. But like it's a really good like it's a Shakespearean I quality like Woody movie. Allen impression. I, hate Kenneth Branagh. Oh, I'm the opposite. I mean, I don't, I'm not a big Kenneth Branagh fan, but you know, uh, that's a good, I just really enjoy that one though, because it's, he's like taking this like handsome and Shakespearean actor and kind of suborning him to He is not handsome. He's all right, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm strong. I don't but, know. This is one of those things where I find myself on the other side of an issue and like suddenly I'm like fucking Branagh, Henry the fifth. Okay. Henry the fifth, St. Crispin's Day speech is pretty good. Dead again. But he didn't no. write the St. Crispin's Day speech. No, no, he didn't. He didn't write it. I mostly hate in Hamlet, which you know he directed. Oh, yeah. When he just like focuses lovingly on his own face for <laughs> oh. so long when he's dead. I just enjoy I enjoy him for that reason. I enjoy the sort of the part of Kenneth Branagh that's like, I'm 25 and I'm going to write my memoirs. 
like as a Shakespearean uh, director and actor. Like, no, I, I, I honestly like this is one of those things where I just find myself on the other side of an issue for me. And now I'm like fighting. No, it's on the good. I like question. to fight. But I don't really. The, none of these opinions are that strongly held. But that's what this podcast is about. It's, about, <laughs> it's Exactly. <laughs> Two people with strong opinions and then we switch. All right. I will take you are. out in the alley and we will fight about Kenneth Branagh <laughs> then. If you if that's what if that's where this is going. It's you know, it's happening. Like I'm ready. I will bring Dame Maggie Smith. <laughs> Listen. Just a whirlwind of fists. <laughs> the title of this episode is Bringing Dame Maggie Smith to a Knife Fight. <laughs> and we'll be right back. All right. So me, this episode is not brought to you by HBO. But uh, we are going to sort of just just big up them because they are still giving us the good the good binging. Although we're going back into old HBO, we're going back into like ancient HBO. I rewatched Deadwood for the first time in five, six, seven years or whatever. Uh, the fact that I'm not writing every week for a website, uh, you the world has no idea how lucky they are. What the takes they have been spared on how Deadwood is just like right now. Because that was the thing. I, I, I went into it sort of being like, I'm going to watch this Western. Right. You know, this like very scatological Western. Uh, if anybody's never seen Deadwood. And you were like, oh, a show about evil men seizing power. Yeah, it's a Shakespearean Western where they all speak in blank verse and uh, just uh, just rank obscenity. Which makes it sound terrible. Time. It's so good, though. But it's it's so good. It, I really, the one thing, I used to be like, Deadwood, the only thing keeping Deadwood from like being the best show of the good shows era of television is that it doesn't have a real ending. But this time I watched it again. And I feel like it actually does. It was like you were like, neither does life, man. Neither, exactly. It just goes on. No, I mean, they were supposed to they were supposed to wrap it up with like two movies and they never did. And they tore the sets down. And then like all this stuff happened. With uh, David they're Milch supposedly and making the movies now. I don't believe, believe it when it. we see it. I believe it when I see it. Um, but I think it actually does have it sort of ends. It does have an ending. It has a David Milchian ending. He has a he's good at like these endings that are very like sort of uh, abrupt and oblique and yet feel like, you know. Also, they didn't really tear down Deadwood. It just became Westworld. That's true. So it's still there. That's the thing. So I was, I think this was partly because of Westworld. It was like when Westworld was over, I needed to, uh, I needed to kind of like come down. That's how that. I got to Future World. But yeah. <laughs> you have to watch. I went, I went further into the past. Um, but so I loved Deadwood's amazing. The, the Gerald McRaney stuff has a lot of actual, like there are, if you watch it, you'll be like, oh, this is like, it's crazy that we would th- think anything else was possible in America. If this was like, the, the, you know, he Hearst, he's George Hearst. And he's the guy who's like the election exists to ratify my will. And like all of that stuff. It's about basically like third season is kind of Gerald McRaney's like the Marlowe of Deadwood. Right. Like he comes in and is like, he represents a, a less uh, somehow like makes the previous antagonist look yeah. almost genteel. That's what Deadwood's really good at. Yeah, like that you basically, yeah. All the villains become friends. Yeah, well, this is what I... Against a worse villain. So this is what I realized about Deadwood, like, because I want to talk about the other thing, but like, uh, uh, what I realized this time, what I really got on this rewatch, first of all, uh, William Sanderson as E.B. Farnham is one of the great television characters of all time. It's one of the great just comic creations. Like, he's it's does not get enough props. He's like the Greek chorus on the show and like is always you know, just reacting to everything going on around him. But he's, you know, he's really, really funny. But I never really thought about how much this is a show about 
people trying to make friends, like dudes wanting to make friends with each other. You know, Dayton Callie as Charlie Utter is like always like trying to get people to have dinner with him and like Buffalo Bill. And like there's always trying to like he's like trying to make this happen. And like he has a very nice moment in the end where he is to ends up becoming friends with the guys in Al's crew, like they're kind of Al Swearingen's, you know, little crew. So they have like their they have some kind of little byplay over drink, little joshing about like, you know, oh, I'm going to give you this drink. And then he's like, oh, this is like these are my peeps now. But yeah, so it basically it ends with like Timothy Oliphant and Swearingen end up having to team up to sort of bring, you know, try to, you know, save the town from George Hurst, you know, who is the, he represents like capitalism as the greater villain. Like Swearingen's like an honest crook, right? Like it's like when he's not lying, he's the most honest man I've ever met. And uh, Hurst is like the sort of the guy who comes along to make Swearingen look like, uh, you know, a sort of good citizen and a good, you know, part of the thing because he is a, only cares about gold. Um, he's a monster. He's Maybe. great in this show. This show should have gone on for, you know, forever, but it does actually, you know, end well. I feel like it's still kind of underrated. I feel like it's still very under. I feel like there's a there's some people there's some TV TV crit you know TV critics love it. it. TV critics love it, and the, it's a it's a like a go to position for like it's a good answer to be like if it's like oh Mad Men or Sopranos the kind of iconoclast right, answer right. That's is like Deadwood. when people are like Sex Pistols or the Ramones, and you're like the Clash. Exactly. Yeah, like it's something. Yeah, right. It's a it's like the, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to circumvent it with a smart Alec. It's like if you're Molly Lambert and you're like, I don't know, mate. I like pulp. I don't like what? I said, I like pulp. The Blur Oasis question. Oh, I like pulp. I I thought you were saying pulp. I thought you were saying like young Pope and that I was just calling it Pope. No, 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 no. Oh, I like Pope. Pope. Sorry, me. We're we're on such good terms. I don't even call him the young Pope. It's just, yeah. What's up, Pope? What's up, Pope? Yeah. I'm on, I'm on a first name. I'm on a last name basis with the young Pope. Um, I haven't seen the young Pope yet. You've certainly made some jokes about it. I've certainly made some jokes. It doesn't Ooh, matter. You don't have to see it. Young Pope is like, it's like the snakes on a plane yeah. of right now. It's like the actual show is like the very people like, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to watch that. Are yeah. you kidding me? I'm not going to watch that commercial. Yeah. But no, so what I, where I went from Deadwood, because there's only so much Deadwood in the world, where I went was, and this is what I'm actually really excited about, the great John from Cincinnati rewatch, where I have now, I'm putting this show in the pantheon uh, so John from Cincinnati is about a family of surfers. It's about three generations of uh, surfing royalty in a town called Imperial Beach, which is close to the Mexican border. It's like a San Diego-ish place. And they are they are visited by a character who is basically Jesus. They're, they don't really, the show does not kind of pretend that he's not. Surfing Jesus. Surfing Jesus. He just shows up one day uh, on the beach Um reciting things like he repeats back everything that he's told. He's sort of, he's like a child. He learns uh, how to speak from them, from these people. And he starts kind of working miracles in their lives. And it's about these kind of, you know, somewhat, some of them are sort of low life type people who've, you know, like get a, you know, another chance at things. Bruce Greenwood is in it, plays an asshole, plays a kind of a selfish new age surfer dude. Um, I think I appreciate that more too. I think I just found him to be, sort of distasteful the first time I watched it and I actually enjoyed this performance a now lot you're more. Like, I know that guy. I know that guy a little more. That's that is the thing. It was very much like I think it was as a show I watched as a non-Californian sort of like dreaming of Southern California. It is it it feels one way, but to actually be here and watch it, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I see that guy at the grocery store all the time. <laughs> It's so good. It's so much no, better than you remember not. it being. It is not. How are so you not? Good. This is how are you not on this team? Because I remember watching it right after Deadwood and being like, maybe this will be good too. I was stoked about it because I was like, yeah, Luke Perry is an old surfer. 
Rebecca De Mornay as a surfing mom, uh, Al Bundy, pre-modern family. Yeah. All of these great, like a lot of good character actors. actors. And I was, you know, beach town milieu, all the things seem like things I'd be into, but John from Cincinnati himself is such a lox. (laughs) He's such a nothing. I know what a lox means. You don't Uh, have to qualify that. Yeah. Also, John from Cincinnati. What? JC. Oh, yeah. No, look, that stuff is crazy. But like, they're not. That's what the show's about. I know, but that is, it's like, it's okay with me because it's not like you're supposed to figure that out and then think you're smart. That's what I like better about. No, I think it's right there on the surface and it's so obvious that he's Jesus. It's not like you're sort of, it's not like you're like, Nobody was like, hey, listen, man, I figured it out. Here's my theory. He's Jesus. Like, it's so clearly that he's supposed to be the son of God. Yeah, but what if he's not? Coming to man? earth. And they put somehow Jesus has vans on when well, he arrives. Well, that makes sense to me. On earth. I think part of it is like because I'm coming right out of Deadwood and because I'm sort of in my, it's, it was in my Deadwood withdrawal. There's a lot of like, you know, they used a lot of those same actors in very different parts um, you know, so like you have like you have Dayton Cali shows up again and like uh, Paula Malcolmson's in it and like all the, you know, people like that. I was saying this, but I once saw John from Cincinnati at a seafood <laughs> shack in Malibu, which led me to believe that he was really John from Cincinnati. <laughs> Looking for a place to dump well, out. Well, he clearly just been surfing. I was like, <laughs> he maybe is this character and they just found him. I think that that is, that is possible. It's weird that I'm not more offended by the like because he makes a lot of like sort of cute faces, too. And he's kind of he, he looks he, the, that whole performance is kind of like in Earth Girls are easy when they after they shave them. And they're kind of like all, like when Jeff Goldblum is sort of like, like making all those weird like mugging kind of looks. I normally hate that stuff, but somehow in this context, it works. I just watched the episode five, which is the one where they have that long dream sequence where he gives that monologue. You know, the one who's like, like, my father, I will bone Kai. Sissy will show Butchie how to do it. You know, that remember, like, I get really into that sort of the texture of that language. And I think I just didn't I didn't want to get out. But I'm also sort of really enjoying the fact that it's like they are like so many people are cast like for the resonance of their TV-ness. Yeah. You know, like it's a it's like it, it's somehow it becomes like this meta show about TV where like yeah. Luke Perry's not just he's an old surfer and he played a young surfer on 90210. Like he has the same, like, so he's like an old kind of like, you know, decrepit version of himself. There's characters uh, he named like. He was pretty old and decrepit on 902. Yes. Now. It's just a bad forehead, man. It's no, like, I he's mean. looked like that since he was 22. He it's just, uh, he just looked old to be in high school. That's all I'm saying. No, it's real. He looked like a narc. Hey, I just saw Steve Sanders the other day <laughs> in the Valley. He looked great. He looks the same. Exactly. I saw the same. him in the airport. Sharknado. I saw <laughs> he's the, He's never changed. That's the thing. It's like, he's, he's a looper. He's always he'll be the same age forever. Uh, but yeah, I'm ready to I'm ready to vote classic on John from Cincinnati. I want you to go back on okay. John on John from Cincinnati. I want you to go back. It's free on Amazon Prime. It's right there. Isn't it on HBO? It's on yeah, it's on you, a, can what, it. you can do it whatever. However way you do it, you can do it through Amazon. I feel like any show, it's weird too to be like nostalgic for things from the 2000s, which I think is what's happening. Cause it's like, oh, the other time that we thought was the worst time. That now seems like a charmingly less worse time. This is weird. I was having this conversation with somebody like over when I was in New York. We were talking about the watching kind of people who are in their 20s reacting to this moment and how they're sort of how they're thinking about it versus like the way that it was 
for us and like what it brought out in like our generation when we were sort of their age watching like the Bush stuff happen. And it was just kind of like, oh, like cocaine and electroclash. It was just purely like, let's just get out of this uh, moment that was entirely. The worst. I was so not thrilled about that. I was like, everything's terrible. Why do people want to dig their heads in the cocaine sand and listen to Bloghouse? But I know a lot of people who are very nostalgic for the Bloghouse era and have good arguments about like, it, you know, form of release and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I feel like all the culture and music from that time does not hold up. It's not something it's I mean, it's, it's all coming back and it's something that I'm very much not ready for. Yeah. To return to the the return of the return of rock, <laughs> the return of Uffy. Oh, I can't God. handle it. I can't. I don't yeah. know if there's that. I don't know if that return is actually happening. And it's not you personally, Uffy, who's probably listening to this. In France. In France. I don't know. Um, my, I guess my message to everyone, if I have one, what is it? Yeah, what is it, Alex? Work here, Cass. I don't know. Is that a John from <laughs> Cincinnati? <laughs> I kind of make all these John from Cincinnati references that nobody gets no, them, and I just need, want them okay, all to work. Well, not to drop a hint about what might happen next week, but you need to talk to Tess Lynch because she is the only person I know who brings up John from Cincinnati all the time. She the other day I was telling her about some story, and she was like, "Are you sure that person's not a John from Cincinnati?" <laughs> Meaning, are you sure they're not just saying a bunch of aphorisms and aren't really a person? They're just repeating things that yeah. they heard in conversation. She was like, "How do you know anything they say is true, and that they're not a John from Cincinnati?" I was like, "You're the only person who references the show, except for Alex." If you enjoy North Hollywood and the fact that you're listening to it tells us that you kind of do, please take a moment to visit iTunes, leave us a rating, perhaps some feedback, ideally some positive feedback, although we're not here to tell you what to do. Every little bit helps. And while you're there, why not leave feedback on some of the other MTV podcast network shows such as Speed Dial, Lady Problems, The Stakes, and many more. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of Norse Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, Kasia Mihailovic, and James T. Green for the MTV Podcast Network, with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you find your favorite podcasts.